Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Today is Monday, May 24th, and we are in the blessed Pentecost season. It takes forever, but what a blessing it is because we know the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples, and in your baptism, he came unto you, not for the sake of himself, but so that we may know Christ and him crucified and come to faith in him. And that is the hope that we have today as we study the scriptures in the true word of God and the word made flesh, where the Holy Spirit points us to our Lord Jesus Christ, who has called you out of his dark, out of darkness and into his marvelous light. The light shines on us today from 1 Kings chapter 21. And we continue to hear, kind of in a strange way, about Ahab. How come Ahab is still around? It's kind of weird as he does this, and he's mentioned as one of the most wicked kings. So why keep talking about him? And there's kind of a few surprises along the way, and of course, lots of Jesus. Let's dig in, and thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. A special thanks to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us be strengthened by God's Word this morning, we have with us Pastor Adam DeGroat, who serves Calvary Lutheran Church in Rio Rancho, New Mexico. Pastor DeGroat, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Wonderful to be here with you, Pastor Finner. Pastor, so, I mean, last time we saw it or talked to each other was quite a while ago. So tell us, give us an update on your family and the work of the saints at Calvary Lutheran. Absolutely. No, it's been good. We've been coming out of uh, some of the COVID restrictions and we've been able to get back to uh, two services. We'll be back to one service on the uh, 6th of June. And uh, things are going well with that. And then the family's doing very well. Uh, Melissa's uh, continuing to uh, teach the ESL, ESL and then Knox is just finishing school. Actually, uh, last Thursday was his last day of school. Uh, and as any 10-year-old boy would be, he was very excited and uh, we were able to get over to a Lutheran camp for a little bit of time of R&R. So uh, things have been going very well, but thanks for asking. Yeah, yeah. Here's, here's a little curveball I'm going to throw at you. It's not a hard one, but we're in the season of Pentecost. Why is that so important to the church and, and uh, for the Christian? Why is that important? Well, it's wonderful. I mean, you know, as we as we heard just this last Sunday, I mean, you know, the, the giving of the Holy Spirit is 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 numerous and made manifest here on earth on the day of Pentecost. In uh, the manifestation of the of the Holy Spirit, as the as the men speaking in tongues of of, of of normal languages, and and but but before that, I mean, to understand that the Holy Spirit has always been with us, and and as Jesus talks about in, in the days after his resurrection, um, you know, as he promises to go away, but to send the Comforter. Um, it's better for him to do so that the, the gospel would go out amongst the nations. And, and, and we know that the gospel goes out amongst the nations uh, through uh, the church, uh, which the, the Holy Spirit attends to. And, and, and it's absolutely a wonderful thing because, you know, not only is it the fulfillment of the promises that Christ has given to us, but as we enter into what I like to call the, you know, I, I shouldn't say I like to call ordinary time here we get uh, into the ordinary time the green season of the church nice. uh, we're reminded all the time that the holy spirit continues to attend to us, attend to us with the words and promises the gifts of our lord jesus christ i love it and that is so important you know in minnesota this is a time of year that everything becomes more green so you see the growth 
uh, that happens that surrounds us. At the same time, we see the green on our altars and the green on our stoles, and it reminds us that the Holy Spirit is continually. Well, you know, as Jesus says, "Abide in me," and and uh, and and we will will grow in in Christ. That's who we are, and and that's what the Pentecost season points us to, by the power of the Holy Spirit. So. Today, as we want to grow in Christ, uh, we are here to study 1 Kings chapter 21. And Pastor, can you begin our time in prayer? We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord God, Heavenly Father, you have uh, given us your spirit. We thank you for this wonderful gift as you continue to lead us, guide us, and protect us in your most holy word. And as we enter into this study of the book of 1 Kings, we ask that you would send that spirit, that we may read, mark, and inwardly digest your holy scriptures for the upbuilding of our faith. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Pastor, as I said, we are in 1 Kings 21, and there's there's just a lot of... There's a lot of crazy stuff that goes on in First Kings, and we're right in the middle of it. So um, Israel, Judah, Ahab, other kings, Jezebel, so forth, go down the list. So what introductory thoughts do you have, thematic ideas, that's going to help us out as we dig into chapter 21? Well, I think, you know, it'd be fun if we could just spend the whole hour talking about how big of a baby Ahab was, but I, I don't know if that, <laughs> I, I don't know if that would necessarily, uh, you know, give us enough time to fill the whole hour. So uh, with that being the case, you know, the great thing, I mean, you would pose the question to you, to the listeners who are with us today is that, you know, well, what's the purpose of Ahab and what's he still there for? And I think, you know, by the end of First Kings 21, we get a good understanding of that is that. Yahweh loves Ahab, and um, he loves Ahab enough to send Elijah to him toward the end of this chapter, although Ahab is, uh, you know, he's kind of a squirrely guy, and, and his, his wife Jezebel's no peach either. Um, you know, that, that God is continually merciful to Ahab, um, and, he, and he's, he's made, made known to be merciful through Elijah, who calls uh, Ahab to repentance. Um, and, and then ultimately, I think, you know, the major things that we'll, we'll see in this chapter is, you know, obviously, well, what's the importance of the land? Um, what's the importance of, of places and, and, and the inheritance that, that will be spoken of in verse 3? But also, um, what's the progression of sin look like? You know, are we talking about, you know, when we say, uh, you know, Lord, forgive us of sins of thought, word, and deed, are we talking about three separate sins? Or are we talking about really just the progression of our inborn uh, original sin? And then, you know, the purpose of the law, and I see, we see that at the end of the chapter. And then, you know, the other thing to remember, too, we are Ahab. You know, we can't just look, you know, historically and say, well, gosh, I don't want to be like, you know, that, that historical King Ahab, the seventh guy, the seventh king in the northern in the northern kingdom. The reality is, is that, you know, we are Ahab and we are Jezebel. And yet, um, as was mentioned uh, that as we began the whole thing, uh, Yahweh, the second person of the Trinity, is generous and gracious to us as well uh, as as well as he was to Ahab and Jezebel. And that's you know that really helps as we look at this with that simple word words that you said Yahweh loved Ahab, and it just brings a thought in my mind. And it's simplistic. It's it's like a children's message. It's something that uh, you you learn as a child. But if God can love Ahab, He can love me too. And I think that's just a very comforting thought as we hear some kind of, well, kind of wacky stuff that continually happens throughout Scripture. So any other thoughts before we dig in? Well, sure, absolutely. And I think just like you said, I mean, as you as you and your listeners have heard over the last couple of weeks, no doubt, is that Ahab really was a bad guy. Um, the most wicked of all the kings, but, you know, the greatest of his sins was his idolatry. And, and yet, 
the mercy of our Lord is 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 far greater than even uh, the great sins of Ahab and our great sins as well. Well, let's open up our Bibles and get started. We are in 1 Kings chapter 21. Reminder to our listeners that we will be reading from the English Standard Version, and I will read the first four verses. Now, Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard in Jezreel, beside the palace of Ahab king of Samaria. And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it is near my house, and I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or, if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. And Ahab went into his house, vexed and sullen, because of of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face, and would eat no food. No food, excuse me. So I just want to set this up for context. It seems like a, well, it's a very simple story, and it sets it up in a a simple way, but there seems to be, like you said, there's an inheritance question here. There's other questions that arise, um, and Ahab and his history and everything. So how would you start us off as we read these first four verses? Well, I I love to think of it because, you know, as, as, as citizens of this world, uh, as people in the flesh still, is that we look at Ahab and, and he's a king and he has he has everything of his heart's desire. Um, but the reality is, is that Ahab really is is beginning to illustrate to us just how poor he is. Um, and, and, and yet, you know, even though he's the king, he's got everything at his, at his disposal. A couple of things we learn about him is that Jezebel will talk about this later, is that, well, what kind of a king are we dealing with here? Is that we're dealing with a petulant king in a lot of ways. As we see that he'll, you know, he's not going to fast for, you know, any good good purpose. He's fasting because he's, he's pouting, as we see in the latter part of chapter 20. Um, and so Ahab is here, and, and this goes back to what we had talked about at the very beginning, is we see the progression beginning. And ironically, as, as, as we know this as, as, as Lutherans, you know, within the catechism, specifically the Ninth and the Tenth Commandments, dealing with covetousness. Um, covetousness, we see and we know that our sin begins in our, it, it's in our hearts, it's indwelling, it's inborn. And that's what we see Ahab doing here. He's coveting something that's not his. Um, just, I guess, maybe just by simple proximity. Uh, we don't know exactly where the, where the, 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 the proximity of, of, of Naboth or, uh, yeah, Naboth's um, land was. But what we do know is that Ahab wanted something that was not promised to him. And then in that, we really see, you know, it goes back to the Garden of Eden. because It's the same thing that God does with, with Adam and Eve. Is that, you know, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, uh, or rather the tree, basically all of creation, you may have that, but you may not have this. And so God sets the prohibitions. Um, yes, this, not that. And, and that's, you know, that's a wonderful distinction because it, it helps us to understand um, you know, what God gives for life and what God gives for not life. And those are distinctions that can, we can talk out as we go forward. But um, I think that's where we would begin is to say, you know, Ahab is, is, is covetous and it's, it's, his sin begins in his heart. And it's, it's one thing if it's a, it's a business deal, because if it's a business deal and he says, no, it's like, okay, well, that's right. I tried and I'll go home and hang out with my bride and, and no big deal. But you see the covetous, 
covetousness in this situation, not so much in how what he asked for, because, well, that seems pretty reasonable. I'll give you money or I'll get you a, you know, I want a vegetable garden. How about I give you this and try to make a fair trade? But when it doesn't go his way, he goes and pouts and he's a powder. That's one. That's a great recognition that we have. He's definitely a powder. And his goal was not to, um, as you said, in the, the ninth and 10th commandment, where the catechism tells us, but help him be a service to him and keeping it. That was not his goal. His goal is I want it. I want your toy. If I can't get it, then go to my corner and pout and hopefully people will come and give me what I want. And and that's a great way to bring up Ahab as a, like you said, we could talk all hour and he's a, just a big baby. So <laughs> thoughts on that? Well, yeah. And I, and I think, you know, too, I mean, in, in that too, I mean, understand then, I mean, you know, look at what it is that, that Ahab is, is, is shirking. He's been given the highest distinction in all of the land. He's the king. And, 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 you know, as, you know, we, as we see, and we see this in first in, in Samuel chapter eight, of course, when the, when the Israelites are wanting an earthly king is that um, God reminds them that no, no, he's their king. And, and yet even, even though, you know, Israel has earthly kings, kings were given to be stewards. Um, stewards, in other words, watching out for and protecting and serving their, their kingdom. And, and, and we don't see Ahab doing that here. Uh, he, his interest is his own, his interest is, is for his own, uh, whatever it happens to be. He wants a bigger garden. He wants to be able to entertain people. You know, there's stories that, you know, the palace that, that Ahab had, you know, in, 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 uh, Jezreel was, was one of the most ornate that ever was, uh, you know, and, but reality, the reality is, is that for whatever reason Ahab covets, there's no good reason for him to do so because he's acting outside of his office as the king of Israel. Um, and, and, and that's the thing that makes, uh, I think verse three so striking is that, you know, if this were just, you know, a vineyard that, you know, um, Naboth's daddy's daddy had given to him and, and, you know, it was known for, you know, good, a good vintage of wine or, or good vintage of grapes or whatever it happens to be, you know, that would be one thing. But like you said, it's not just a business deal. Um, you know, in the English standard version, it says Lord forbid, but actually it's, it's Yahweh, the second person mm-hmm. of the Trinity forbid that I should give you the inheritance. And that, you know, that language of inheritance means something more because as you go back to Joshua 13 and through 19 and also numbers 34 is that, you know, for, for the Israelites, they would have known that the language of inheritance and specifically the language of land uh, was a promise given to them by God and God alone. And so what, what Ahab is asking is for Naboth to give away what God has promised him. Um, and we see that in other parts of the New Testament, specifically the parable of the prodigal son, is that, you know, if, if Naboth gives this away, it would be no different than what it is we see the prodigal son doing with the squandering of his inheritance, living among swine, et cetera, so on. And Naboth at this particular point refuses to do that um, because he knows that this is given to him by God. And not only that, but the book of Leviticus addresses this in the, in the 25th chapter. Is that, you, know, it, you know, here's the king, Ahab, who's supposed to know all this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, his, but his subject, Naboth, um, is actually the one who's, who's, who's operating within the confines of the Levit- Levitical law, um, which specifically is you know, 25-23, the land shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine, for you are, the, are strangers and sojourners with me. So in other words, Naboth understands his life under the law of God even better than Ahab does. And it's wonderful. It's, an, it's a wonderful exhibition of faith. It's, an, it's a wonderful exhibition of, of, of Ahab, of 
him apprehending the gifts that God had given to him. And that's, you know, that is, is a great way of us to think about this. Because, yes, Leviticus 25 speaks about this is God's land, not your own. And and here is Naboth, like you said, the king in the at this time uh, was not only seen to be the government ruler, but as a spiritual overseer. You see that with David. Right. You see that with Solomon, especially. Um, and and now that that lineage is supposed to continue on. Clearly, though, Naboth, um, we don't. I don't think we know much about him overall. Seems to get God kind of like Obadiah understood too. You know, he was a servant of. Of, of, of him and and he seemed to understand God better than the one he was supposed to and it's he was not just given away you know grandpa's farm so that you could build the big old house in town in South Dakota as you would know pastor de Grote. right um, right but yeah <laughs> this is a whole different scenario this is a faith issue if I sell this this is God's land and as as a man of faith I cannot do it for the Lord did not call me to do this so it's a right. different contextual cultural reality that I love how you unpack that any last thoughts on that well yeah no and i think you know just to finish that off i mean god had promised and 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 gave it up to them you know to 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 basically you know produce you know all sorts of wonderful things and what was the custom and the culture at the time is well my goodness what would Naboth do with what he grew on that land well he would help the people in his community he would Uh be around uh, other people you know it was there it was good uh, for Naboth, it was good for his neighbors. It was good for the kingdom. It was, um, and and here you have this king Ahab, who's saying, you know, who, who's given and by his office to make sure that he's watching over all of that. And yet we see that Naboth is actually the one who's seeing to it even better than the king. It's wonderful. Mm. It's wonderful to understand how it is that God gives faith to this you know, this man Naboth. And I'm guessing the vegetable garden wouldn't be necessarily for the is the Israelite nation. It would be more for his, uh, you know, for his fun on the side is my guess as well. But we can't, I can't base that on anything, but that's my guess. <laughs> well, just give, you know, give, yeah, give it Ahab's nature. He'd probably do something strange, like only grow eggplants or something like that. You know, and that would ruin it. <laughs> and, and who eats eggplants, you know? But, but right, the whole point is, you know, it's not been given to him for Ahab's possession. So, um, but it's been given for the, the possession of, of, of Naboth for his stewardship. And that stewardship is then is beneficial to, to, to the neighbor and to the kingdom. Wonderful. So, so he's in the corner, he's in the corner with some of his own toys and he's kind of what they say vexed and sullen. And, and now we get to see the reappearance of Jezebel. I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm excited about Jezebel coming back, but here she is, nonetheless, <laughs> five through seven. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? And he said to her, because I spoke to Naboth, the Jezreelite, and said to him, give me your vineyard for money or else, if it, <laughs> if it please you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel's wife said to him, do, not, do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. Now, there's, there's, there's one word in here that definitely is not present, and there is another word in place of it, but never in here does he say God, okay? There's no Yahweh talk in this conversation. Um, and it isn't so much that he says, give me your vineyard or else, but he says this, that, that uh, Naboth said, I will not give you my vineyard. He does not mention that God said, 
I cannot give you this vineyard. He just says that that selfish Naboth did not give me what I wanted. So definitely Ahab has such a faith issue throughout all of this, but you definitely see it here. Other thoughts? Well, yeah, I mean, and not only that, but I mean, you know, it kind of it kind of begs the question. I mean, my goodness, what kind of a marriage does, does Ahab and Jezebel have? I mean, because yeah. you have an addition. You have an addition in verse six. You know, you know, Ahab sort of making himself, you know, sound tough. You know, I said or else. Well, no way. Let's look at verse two. Nowhere else in, in verse two does he say or else. <laughs> right, that's true. You know, so, so he's beginning to posture before his before his wife. Um, and, and not only that, but my goodness, look at the, the, the virtue that, that, that Jezebel feigned. You know, my goodness, honey, why are you so vet, et cetera, so on. But wait a second. We, we've come to know Ahab by virtue of his character as a guy who's perpetually vexed. I mean, yeah. mm-hmm. you, know, you know, they're both miserable. Um, and, 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 and to that miserableness, and I think this is one of the things we often forget about idolatry, is you know, both, and, and Jezebel being, you know, of course, the daughter of a king, you know, uh, Ethbaal, um, you know, uh, the king of Tyre and Sidon. She had introduced idol worship in, in, in the temple. Um, and by this time, it was not uncommon to see that they were offering sacrifices to false gods. You know, and, and, and what else are those sacrifices rendered for than to believe that you're, you're, you're mediating, you're, you're, you're pleasing the gods? But the reality was is that if, you know, we see anything with Jezebel and Ahab here, they're miserable. Not even their sacrifices are giving them what they had hoped for. Mm-hmm. Um, and furthermore, even after receiving, if they do receive this vineyard, um, what what guarantee do we have that we're going to be given that they're going to be given any satisfaction? And I think this goes to the nature of idolatry: is that you know, to the extent, even for our, ourselves, as we are given over to idolatry, we begin to worship the creation rather than the Creator. And I think that's the thing that, that, you know, Naboth is clear upon. He knows his creator. Um, and I think to the point that you had made, and, you know, just to, for the listeners to know, too, is that, you know, um, no kidding that, that, that Ahab is not mentioning Yahweh in any way, shape, or form, because he believes that he is in the position, the highest position. He rules by power. And then you begin to see that in verse 7. Jezebel asked the question, well, do you now govern Israel? And that's sort of, you know, it's, what's the nature of that question? Um, and we can infer all sorts of different things, but the reality is that according to God, Ahab does not, because God gave kings to rule as stewards, not by virtue of power. And that's the real distinction that we see between our heavenly kings and earthly kings, is that how different this is than, 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 than how our Lord rules, because God does not rule by power, he does not rule by, by bending arms. He does not rule in any other way than by weakness and by mercy. And we don't see that happening here. So Jezebel is, is saying, okay, well, my goodness, you, know, you can just go and take this because you're the king. But then what's interesting is you see a really uh, strange twist. Okay, well, since you're not going to go do this, <laughs> I, I, Jezebel, I will give you. No, wait, isn't God the giver? But Jezebel puts herself not just into the position, you know, which we'll see in, in, in verse 8 here. She puts herself into the position of the king in verse 8, mm. but she puts herself into the position of God in verse 7. And where else does idolatry lead us but to believe that we are the God, that we must be served, and that we must have procure, or we were owed, or, or what we should procure should be procured by virtue of our, our, our stealth or our, our power. 
or whatever it happens to be. So there's a lot in these in these three verses. This brings me back to what you said at the beginning, where you said, as when we start reading this and we start looking at this, it's so easy to look at them and go, man, what a mess up marriage that is. Or you look right. at it and go, man, going in your corner of your toys and not, you know, trying to get your way. And then if you take a step back, you see, I am Ahab. I'm the one who wants to have this or that that someone else has. You know, I want the bigger boat that people take to the lake in the summertime. I want the lake home that they have over there. What can I get do to get this? Or a marriage where, you know, I mean, let's be honest, there's some days I'm pretty uh, vexed and solid and sitting there and my bride, Amy, my beautiful bride, will kind of like, you know, what's up with you? Are you not a man? What's your deal? What's going on over there? Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Right. So we definitely have to put ourselves in the situation and then you understand where they're coming from. Um, and then also, hopefully this leads us to repent ourselves. Any other thoughts on that? No, and that's, and that's good. And I think, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. It's like, you know, it's, the, is the characteristics we see exhibited here, and, and, and I'm just going to echo what you said: is that um, you know Ahab is is in a position for one reason or another um, to make himself to be, uh, appear more powerful than he is. We see that with the addition of the or else. He kind of sounds like a tough guy. Uh, Jezebel calls him on that. You know, um, well, aren't you the king? Well, then show me. Uh, and then she knows. You know, I think her her reaction and what she says is indicative. Well, I can see that you're not this, so I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Right. So you have, you know, and I think this is the thing that we have to remember is that we're, we're, we have inborn sin, but sin leads to sin, leads to sin, leads to sin. And my goodness, we're not even to the point where, where Jezebel even said anything. And so this goes back to what we talked about before is that, you know, you know, as we come to church on Sunday mornings and the pastor comes before us and we, we're going to the, 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 the corporate confession. You know, forgive us all of our sins of thought, word, and deed. Well, my goodness, are we dealing with three separate sins, or are they just progressions of the same? And I think this particular chapter begins to illustrate, well, wait a second, what leads ultimately to Naboth being killed? Well, here we have it. We have this idolatry that starts in the heart, which is beginning to be manifested in all sorts of grievous sins, um, of which, of course, yes, we can identify with. But we must understand that these are thoughts, really thoughts of uh, the sins of thought at this particular point in time, mm -hmm. and sins of, of of word. Right now, we have not yet seen the manifestation manifestation of the sins of deed yet. But we can say that the sin has already been committed because Ahab and Jezebel are conniving to try to basically accomplish all of this. If nothing more, look at what they're doing it for: a garden. Yeah, vegetable <laughs> garden. Pretty, it's pretty crazy, you know. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty wacky how it is that it all works out. Well, we're going to talk more about this after our break. We are studying 1 Kings chapter 21 with Pastor Adam DeGrote, and we will be right back. This is the voice of a mother in the faraway country of Georgia, reading to her six-month-old son about Jesus from a Bible storybook written in the Georgian language. The child's Bible was given to her by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, and the Holy Spirit is working powerfully through your support of LHF to make events like these happen every day. Help another family learn of the Savior. Learn how at lhfmissions.org. 
And welcome back. We are studying 1 Kings chapter 21 and with Pastor Adam DeGroote. And as we study this, the first seven verses, definitely as Pastor DeGroote pointed us to, we're not seeing anything explicitly with sin. We can relate with it almost to the to the heart. A first commandment, uh, you shall have another God's issue. We have, we have ninth and tenth commandment issues where we covet what other people have. We see the, the issues in our marriage. We see the issues in um, uh, selfishness. The whole thing, everything there, we can relate with this. And Pastor, as you said, there's a progression of sin that leads, which at every step along the way, what God calls us to is not, well, you know, let's just, let's just do better. No, repentance and faith, repentance, contrition, and faith, as we hear so often in the in the scriptures and also in our confessions. So as we look at the next number of verses, any last thoughts? Because it's so important that we have the groundwork laid out before we move on. Any last thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, like I said, I mean, you know, just as we, just to remember too, you know, that, um, as you see it every Sunday, as you come to you know to, to your parish, wherever it is that your church is, and as your as your shepherd comes before you, remember a couple of things. You know that we as pastors we confess with you, and you know as as you confess uh, as the dear saints of God, I confess with you. Lord, forgive me of my my sins of thought, word, and deed, but they're not different sins. Um, that they're one and the same, which is indicative of of our inborn nature, our inborn sin. And the beautiful thing, as we remember throughout this entire chapter, our Lord Yahweh, the second person of the Trinity, is merciful. He's the true king, and he wishes nothing more than to show mercy as the great steward uh, the, the great steward to us. He is the true king, and he's the one who continues to bestow his greatest gifts. Not just, and this is the thing, the inheritance, but not an inheritance of land, but an inheritance of forgiveness and eternal life. And I think that's really a good springboard for what we see because things are going to get pretty messy here in the next few verses. Absolutely. We are going to read verses 8 through 16. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. And she sent the letters to the elders and the leaders who lived in Naboth and lived with Naboth in the city. And she wrote in the letters, proclaim a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people. And set two worthless men opposite him, and let them bring a charge against him, saying, You have cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. And the men of the city, the elders of the leaders who lived in this city, his city, did as Jezebel had the word to them. As it is written in the letters that she had sent to them, they proclaimed a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people. And the two worthless men came in and sat opposite him. And the worthless men brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned, he is dead. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive, but dead. And as soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. So, you know, kind of like the roller coaster goes off the rails is kind of what happens here. Um, how would you, like you said, progression of sin, how does this progression, what does it lead to? Well, yeah, it leads to the deed. And I think, you know, you, you see that, um, 
you know, the violation of the, of the fifth commandment. Um, you know, the, the proclamation that's being made here that, um, uh, that, that, uh, uh, that should die. Seventh commandment, the, this is not, you know, um, land that's going to be, you know, acquired by any virtuous means, but it's, it's, it's functionally going to be stolen. Um, and I think, you know, ultimately, um, you know, the other thing too, is that it's a first commandment issue as well, because, you know, the work that Jezebel is doing here is nothing other than the work of the devil. Um, she is making herself to be king. She's writing letters in Ahab's name, sealing them with his seal, et cetera, so on. But then the other thing, I think verse 10, um, really, I think, sets the scene for, for another man who is falsely accused, a man we know very well, um, who uh, had two worthless men. And, of course, two would have been the necessary, um, uh, the necessary number, two or more, as witnesses. But worthless men, as the English says, actually means they're not men of integrity. In other words, mm. they're not going to tell the truth. These are just, you know, these are our pawns. They're going to say what we're going to say. So what's happening here is now the sin of Ahab has been manifest with Jezebel. And the, the sin of both of them has been manifest with two worthless men. But then by the time we get to verse 11, now it's the whole town. And I think this is the other thing to remember. And we see this, and I remember the, you know, experiencing this with a lot of people who are, are secularists or pagan. If they'll say things a lot of times is uh, like this. My sin only hurts myself. Mm-hmm. That is false. And, and this particular chapter makes that very, very clear. We begin with the inborn sin of one man, Ahab. And we ultimately, by the time we get to verse 11, the entire city is culpable. Um, and, and they are culpable of, of murder. They are culpable of the crimes. They are culpable of lying. Uh, and it's all been set in, set in motion. Think about it just for a second. By simple, the simple, it all began with this, with the inborn sin, but the thought that Ahab had. And now it's manifest ultimately in the de- in the wicked deeds, the evil and demonic deeds of an entire city. It's absolutely bananas. And this is where the progression of sin leads: is my sin can then go to my my kids, and then my kids can go to somebody else, and all of a sudden you have a whole community um, uh, reveling or frolicking in their sin. When not long before this, they all thought, well, maybe this isn't right. But now, well, he's doing it. She's doing it. Therefore, I can do it. Go down the whole list. And it is simple as saying, well, that's Naboth's. Well, no, the king says it's ours now. Oh, okay. Well, it said in a letter that obviously came from the king. <laughs> and go down the list. Yeah. And it just, it just kept going and going and going. And the, the thing that struck me with that is all of a sudden Naboth is gone. I mean, basically with nothing but lies. So this is a, a, an eighth commandment issue as well. You bet. And, mm-hmm. and what happens is that, that Jezebel has no remorse. I mean, I mean, this is, this is under her, under her hand, obviously, but it appears Ahab doesn't have much remorse either. It's kind of like, Oh good. Now I got a vegetable garden. This is great. Yeah. And, and yet, and this is the thing we're going to see this in the following verses, you know, think about the, you know, the sin in the garden of Eden. It's mm-hmm. not Jezebel who's going to be called to account. It's not Jezebel's sins that are the grief, most grievous here. It's Ahab. Mm-hmm. And this is the thing to remember is that Ahab is given to be the king, and he's, he's failed. He's given to be a husband, and he's failed. He's given to be a steward of the, uh, of the gifts of God uh, to the people that he's, he's sent to serve, and he's failed. And yet, and that's the thing, too, is that, okay, Jezebel certainly is guilty of her own sin and her own progression of sin. But the reality is, is that what sets it in motion is the initial thought of Ahab. 
Um, and then, and that's one of the things that why we end up seeing is Ezekiel is called back for the first time since we've seen him since first Kings 18, um, this word's mm-hmm. going to come to him, but real quickly on this verse 10 is that, okay, you're right. You know, and I actually commandment eight is, you know, this is a, this is a false testimony that's given against the innocent man. But we remember, of course, uh, Christ, our Lord, um, who himself was brought before, um, uh, you know, brought before and was was falsely accused. Yet, yet willingly uh, went to his own death for our sake. And and to remember, you know, here's here's where all I think the whole chapter comes together is that this is it, it's it's pointing us in a lot of ways to Jesus, who wins the true inheritance. And that's why that language of verse three is so important. Is this inheritance is not just land. This inheritance, really, you know, in some ways, it has to do with our temporal well-being. But when inherit, when God talks about inheritances, it's for now and forever. And so, this inheritance that Christ will win as He goes as an innocent man to die, He wins the inheritance of forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life. And that inheritance then is bestowed to us as our as our birthright by virtue of baptism, the new birth in baptism. It's given to us as our inheritance, and we are then sons, or probably better, heirs of the kingdom of God. It's wonderful to see, and I think verse 10 is, is a very important text, uh, uh, verse in this text. So as we, as we look at this, it, it seems like, okay, it's a done deal that, that this is going to, um, you know, this is kind of Ahab being Ahab. He, he's had all these issues. But it continues on, and I would say in a movement that I would not have predicted as you're reading, because at this point, God says, well, this guy's the most wicked of all, and therefore he's beyond, um, he's beyond repair. There's no reason for the Lord to go back to him. Now, we look at Elijah, and continually it says, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Well, I like Elijah. Elijah seems to be a faithful man. He makes mistakes, of course, but he's kind of a guy that I should give him a second chance. But Ahab, I mean, come on. He does not need the word of the Lord to come back to him. He is a lost cause. But that doesn't appear the way that the Lord works in this story at all. So let's continue on. Verses 17 through 19. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, the Tishbite, saying, Arise. Go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone to take possession. And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs lick up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick your own blood. Now, Pastor, what do you think about Elijah at this stage? The word of the Lord comes to him again and says, by the way, go to Ahab again. What do you think Elijah's thinking in this scenario? <laughs> My God, he's going to jump into a belly of a whale or something. I think somebody <laughs> else did that one time, right? Um, <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, I mean, you know, you know, you know, whether it's Jonah, whether it's Nathan, you know, who, who's given to David or Elijah, who's, you know, been scared off by Jezebel before. Um my goodness, I, who who knows? But I think what we see here is that, you know, I think the point you had made, Pastor Finner, in, in terms of the Lord, the, the word of the Lord, the word of Yahweh coming to Elijah, it goes back to the initial question we had. What is the purpose of Pentecost? Mm. Well, the purpose of Pentecost is the Spirit who continues to give us the word. The word comes to us always. 
well, what then does the word give us to go do? Well, in some cases, it go it, it, it prompts us to go out into this world, which is full of sin and wickedness, as we are, are, are currently citizens of this world as well. And especially within the Christian church, what we see here is that Elijah is sent to be a true steward and a true minister uh, to, to the people of God. Um, and I think going back to what you said, okay, to think that, you know, Elijah has somehow deserved forgiveness or has deserved something good, uh, or how Elijah, or rather um, Ahab, the point is, is that forgiveness is never deserved. Mm-hmm. Uh, forgiveness is always freely given. And I think that's the wonderful thing we see here is that, okay, um, Elijah is not worthy to be a prophet. Uh, he's not worthy to be necessarily to, to, be, to be called to this position, but it pleased God to make him a prophet as much as it pleased God to make Ahab the king. And what we see here is what we see in, in the, the fancy word we have is the perspicuity of Scripture, right? You know, just mm-hmm. unpack that for a second. It's just to say um, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So in other words, the, the Lord in Genesis is the same as the Lord in, in Revelation and is the same as, as, as the Lord Christ who suffers and dies for us. So forgiveness is given through this prophet Elijah, who must have been, to answer your question, shaking in his boots. Right. Um, but then to go to Ahab and, 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 and what Elijah then is bringing is not, gosh, you know, hey, you know, I'm Elijah. I'm a pretty stand-up guy. I'm going to heaven because of what I do. You ought to do this. And he's not saying that in the least. He's going to him in all humility as a prophet of God to, to simply say to Ahab what it is that God has said to him, which the reality is because, you know, the law was written on our hearts beforehand. Ahab knows that this was wrong. That's why he schemed so wickedly to try to get it in the ways that he has. Um, he may be tried virtuously at, at first to do it, but when that was then stopped, he then sought other ways to procure something for his own good. Um, and I think, you know, that prophecy or what, what Yahweh says to, to Elijah, you know, the dogs licking your own blood is that, you know, we remember in the biblical world, you know, dogs were not, you know, like we have them in our own day. I mean, they, they roll around at night and, and they, you know, they, were, they were ravenous in many ways. And so this is roving packs that will devour by night, uh, unburied corpses uh, eaten by the dogs. It, 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 it's very, very stark. Um, and so, but yet what we remember here is that, okay, there's two things that are being talked about here. Ahab will die the first death, as will all sinners. But Elijah is sent in order that Ahab will not die the second death. And I think that's then what we see in verse 20. So maybe we can look at the text as we go forward. Because to remember, it's that, okay, well, what's this second death that we talk about as Christians? And this is where very, like you said, it's very stark, the language, the place where dogs lick up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick up your own blood and, and lick your own blood. And it's a good reminder for us that there are times that, 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 that God is very clear with people. The ending will not be good. Your body will, you basically, there's no hope left that even dogs eat your body and I'll let it do it. I'll let them do it. And, and this is a, a good reminder for us just that the importance of faith and the importance of a physical resurrection, that this body is something that the Lord will resurrect. And uh, without Christ and his resurrection, um, this language is for us. This language is is our uh, our reality, and which is why, once again, it continually calls us to repentance 
and also to faith. But as you said, let's keep moving forward here. Uh, 20, and we'll go through verse 24. Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? He answered, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up and will cut off from Ahab every male, bond, or free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, and the house of the son of Baasha, the son of Abijah. For the anger to which you have provoked me, and because you have made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel, the Lord also said, The dog shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dog shall eat. And anyone who, of his who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat. So <laughs> Ahab does a retort, but the comeback from Elijah and everyone else is not good either. So what happens in this interaction? Well, I, you know, just 22, looking at that latter, that last line of verse 22, uh, you have made Israel to sin. So what's happening here is that is, is, is Ahab's kingly nature, kingly office is being questioned. You are the king. And you have caused your entire kingdom to sin, which we then saw um, in verse 11. Okay, so in other words, this idea of sin and isolation is bogus. That's not true. Sin leads to sin, and it affects everyone, every single person. Okay, but I think this is the other thing going back to verse 20. We talked about this a little bit before the show began. Is look at what it is that, that Ahab says to Elijah. Have you found me, O oh, my enemy? And this is really an, an initial acknowledgement from his own sinful position. Elijah is sent there as a prophet of God to bestow the very gifts of God, namely the forgiveness of sins. And yet, all Elijah can, or rather Ahab can see is like Adam in the garden. All he expects from God is wrath. Mm. But Elijah is not there to give wrath. I mean, he is. He's talking about it in terms of the dogs licking up the blood. But the, but, but the first death is not, is not the worst death. The second death, that is death unto eternal damnation, mm. is the worst um, and so what, what's happening here is Elijah says, I found you, okay? And then it's kind of confusing. The English says, I found, the, I found you because you've sold yourself. It almost sounds like, you know, I found you because it was so easy to see you. But the reality is, is he's actually saying, I found you because God sent me to you. And because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord, this is the proclamation that Yahweh gives to you. You will die. You will die because of your sin." But I am here, and ultimately we'll see this once we get to verse 27, but that you may not die forever. I am calling you to repentance. And this kind of goes back to this idea of, 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 of um, you know, going back to the, the, the position of prophet and the position of pastor. Um, I remember this, and it was one of the things that almost made me leave the seminary, um, <laughs> was uh, I was told is that if I failed to uh, execute my duties to properly distinguish law and gospel, uh, most specifically, to admonish sinful people, um, to bring them to repentance, uh, and, and then to bestow the gifts, the gifts of the gospel, that the blood would be on my hands. Mm. And that's true. Um, and so as a pastor, I, I will face really two judgments. One, uh, Adam DeGroat will face one, and I then, by virtue of my office, will face a second. And we see that really happening here with, with, with Ahab. Um, you have failed as a man, and you have failed as a king. Um, and because of this, all, all these people have, have, have been made to sin because of you. 
Um, but then, and then he kind of details, you know, all the different other people that have fallen into the same sin. Um, but the ultimate point here out of all of it is Elijah does not come to Ahab as an enemy. He comes to him as a friend. And, and I mean that as a friend is to say a friend in the gospel. Uh, and in order for us to be able to understand or to even apprehend the gospel first, it, it almost appears like Yahweh's done with Ahab, but he's not. How do we know that? Because he sends him a pastor. He sends him Elijah to call him to his sin that he might acknowledge it, repent of his sin, and live. And then that's the thing. We don't know anything in the scriptures necessarily as to what happens ultimately with Ahab. But we have good, you know, sort of reassurance to understand that Elijah is sent in order that Ahab will not die the second death, the most important eternal death. And this, it reminds me, as, as you said, that the sins of Ahab will not only affect him, but all the males in, in Israel and, uh, and, and, and his wife, Jezebel, will also perish um, because of the sins. Not like as a direct, like you sin, therefore they die necessarily, but the sins has kept growing. The progression kept going. And Elijah and Ahab have had these face-to-face battles before. I remember the one time where, uh, uh, where Ahab says to him, there you are, you troubler, you know, um, <laughs> and, and he's like, no, you're, I'm not the troubler. You are the troubler because you've denied the Lord. And here he definitely has a pastoral tone. And that's something I've caught since you were talking here is he, he definitely has some words that are very much so from the Lord. But you can tell, especially later on, that, that yeah, he's being direct with him. Um, you found me, oh, my enemy. I mean, this is not a, a good good relationship per se, but it is a reminder that Ahab goes, says what needs to be said, and then lets the Lord um, work on his heart as opposed to um, thinking that it's all up to him. And that's such a powerful thing. How many times the word of the Lord goes to Ahab and a reminder for us, what do we have when we address sin? The word of the Lord, not our words, not our like goal for a people, but it's, it's what God desires for the sake of their souls here and also in eternity. Last sauce before we get to the last verses, Pastor. Yeah, no, that's it's fantastic. And think about it in terms of, you know, for those who are listening today, too, is that, you know, when our pastors come to us and say, gosh, you know, I haven't seen you at church for a little while. It seems like you are uh, focusing on baseball or going to the lake or fishing a little bit too much. Um, you know, it's, it, it, you know, we can have, you know, it's kind of, I always joke about it and say we kind of have three postures, right? It's nah, or no, it's not that bad. Or ultimately, it's, gosh, you know, you're right, pastor. Um, and that's exactly what's happening here is Elijah does not wish to murder Ahab's character. Neither do our pastors wish to do so, right. but we're given to be stewards of these great gifts of God. And Elijah is saying, God has forgiveness for you and he has forgiveness before you for you because you have gravely sinned. And that's the great thing that we'll see in these following verses that we'll read. Well, let's finish it out. We have about six minutes left, and then we'll wrap everything up as we read these last verses. Verse 25. There was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord, like Ahab, whom Jezebel, his wife, incited. He acted very abominably. Is that right? Abominably. In going (laughs) In going after idols as the Amorites had done, whom the Lord cast out before the people of Israel. And when Ahab heard those words, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his flesh, 
and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his days, but in his son's days I will bring the disaster upon his house. So (laughs) Ahab repents. I mean, this is like so counter anything else before this point. He repents. What does, how, how are we to bring this story together? How would you describe this? Well, I just got to say too, I'm, I'm glad I got, uh, I got, I'm glad this the lot fell to me to get this particular chapter because my goodness, you know, having to have to hear about Ahab, you know, continuing in his unrepentance, mm-hmm. um, you know, now the great sort of ocean breeze of fresh air, you know, and, and yet you look about it in terms of how 27 ends. He walks about subjectively. Okay. Well, and I think this understands too, and we understand is that, okay, um, this idea that we have as Christians, well, I must feel forgiven. Well, I, let's put it this way. When we ask the question, did Ahab feel forgiven? <laughs> right, right. Uh, well, I think that word dejectedly kind of answers the question for us. But then look at what it is that God himself said. Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? And in the end, we then come to the understanding that it's only God's word that matters. God, Yahweh, has seen and has forgiven Ahab of his sins. He has bestowed this great mercy through the prophet Elijah, and although Ahab has not felt forgiven, the reality is, is that he is. He has been. He's seen the need of the law. The need of the law is to to reveal to us our, our inborn sin, where we have sinned in thought, word, and deed. And even more so, where it is that we have, have the desperate need of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and that's the thing, too, is that, you know, that, that language of the disaster, of course, of course, that fulfilled, that's fulfilled in Second Kings chapter 10. But the reality is, is, is we have to remember, too, is that this isn't the end of the story. Uh, this is, isn't the end of his story uh, in the sense that, to say, no, wait a second. Christ our Lord is the one who is not is going to come in order that the final and ultimate disaster will not fall upon any of us, those who have lived, those who are living, and those who will live. For he, by virtue of his death and resurrection, has shed his blood for all and has bestowed these gracious gifts to us in holy baptism in order that the final disaster, the worst disaster, would not fall upon us, namely the second death. And that's the beautiful gospel message for us, is that, you know, though we gravely sin, the law is given to us to reveal that the law never compels us, but the gospel reveals to us what it is that Christ has done for us. It gives us great joy, even though we may walk around dejectedly. But the reality is, is that what God says is the final, is is all that really matters. You have seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me. And that's a beautiful uh, gospel uh, articulation of the fact that Yahweh indeed has heard his confession. And as we know, confession has two parts. One, that we confess our sins, and two, that we receive absolution from the pastor as from Christ, not doubting but firmly believing that by it our sins are forgiven before God in heaven. What I find fascinating is that there's two times that he walks around dejectedly. The first one (laughs) is when he didn't get what he wanted. And the second one is his realization of who he is before God. One leads to more selfishness and to an end that has dogs licking up his body. (laughs) And the other one in repentance, which is, we would argue, a, a gift from the Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit, 
um, leads him to life. It leads him to a, not, not a second death, but leads to a resurrection. And this is something where we don't want to base everything on feelings on every single realm because what looks the same is not the same at all because it points us to Jesus. Now, now, uh, Pastor, we have about a minute left. How would you sum up this chapter and how it applies to us today? In one minute, that's all you need. All right, you got it. Well, I think the other thing too, and we'll, we'll use the words of Jezebel, but she's got it mis- she's got it misunderstood. Jezebel says in verse fifteen, "You see how Naboth is not alive. Sin leads to not life." But ironically, Naboth, uh, as a child of God, upon his being stoned. We know where he went, and we know why he went there, and that was because of the promises of Yahweh. He resided in his, his, his rest, waiting for the resurrection, uh, as we all do. Yes, Naboth died the first death, but he did not and would not die the second death. Uh, Jezebel was wrong. She believed that life on this earth was all that mattered, uh, with the consequence that she received precisely what she confessed. Uh, she would have heaven on earth, and yet she would die both the first death and the second death. And thanks be to God that through Jesus Christ, our Lord, that he comes, he sends prophets to us in the same way today as he did in, in, in Naboth's day to continually uh, bring us to repentance by virtue of the preaching of the law and to give us the sweet salve of the gospel of Christ crucified for the forgiveness of our sins. And as we talked at the very beginning, he continues to bring this home to us within the holy confines of the Christian church and the Holy Spirit who attends to us. Uh, bestowing these gracious gifts to us every single day, every Lord's Day in our churches. What a joy we have. Pastor Adam DeGroat of Calvary Lutheran Church in Rio Rancho, New Mexico, giving us God's strong word this morning from 1 Kings chapter 21. Pastor DeGroat, thank you again for being our guest. My pleasure. Good to be with you. Saints of our Lord, the most likely of people repent, and we see it with Ahab. Well, you know, it's even more unlikely that you and I repent. But as the Lord loved Ahab, he loves you. And he has shown us the greatest love, that one would die for his friends. And that is what our Lord has done, that he has died for you and shows us that his grace is sufficient and his love is always there for you. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.